Welcome to Parents' Rights Now, a production of Parents' Rights in Education, hosted by Suzanne Gallagher. We are committed to valuing students, empowering parents, and supporting communities to secure great educations for public school children in America. PRE welcomes all students, families, and community members who care about scholastic success for K-12 public school students. Visit our website, parentsrightsined.org, and like us on Facebook. Our chapters include Alaska, Arizona, Colorado, Idaho, Illinois, Maine, Montana, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Texas, Virginia, Washington State, Wisconsin, and something new, Australia. Join us by filling out the form on our website titled, Join Us. You will find information regarding issues and information about local and state chapters. Hey everybody, it's Tuesday, October 4th. I thought it'd be fun to take a look at a couple books that I've been reading lately. I like to go out of town and just um, detach from normal everyday life. Uh, basically, um, have somebody else do my cooking and cleaning for a couple days and just dig in and catch up on my reading. So the first book is titled The Invincible Family, and it's written by Kimberly Ells. She explains why the global campaign to crush motherhood and fatherhood can't win. Um, socialists and feminists have long targeted the family as an enemy, even the enemy. And for socialists, the family is an obstacle to the full power and of the progressive state. For feminists, the family denies independence and equality. That's what they claim, guys, right? They're completely wrong, in my opinion. Uh, today, however, the battle has grown even fiercer as socialists and feminists have found a global ally in the United Nations, which is using its extraordinary power to undercut the authority and the sanctity of the family around the world, even in the United States. This has been going on for a while. International policy advisor Kimberly Ells exposes this unholy alliance between globalist liberals, feminists, and socialists and unveils the shocking harm being done right now to women and children in America and around the world. What impresses me about Kimberly's book is that she she brings us up to date and provides us with a historical takeover uh, of the the global uh, narrative regarding families. Back in the day when I was involved with Eagle Forum, headed up by Phyllis Schlafly, this was quite the topic as well. But nobody believed us. They thought we were crazy people. The cool thing here is that Kimberly has continued this uh, deep dive and analysis now based on decades of imp implementation globally, and she says the same thing. 
Have you ever heard anybody tell you, we've got to get rid of the UN? Well, this is one major reason because they are influencing what our children are taught. And it is based on this idea that mothers and fathers are not only not necessary, but are a negative influence on the raising of children. And how best to get control of your children than to infiltrate and control the public school system. And of course, especially in the United States, the largest, most influential country in the world. So I highly recommend this book. I, I do believe that, that what we're doing today is the answer. It's part of the bigger picture to upend the influence and the control the public school system has over the teaching and training of our children. Kimberly emphasizes the fact that motherhood in and of itself gives mothers an inalienable right to raise and influence their child. Yes, fathers are part of that, but mothers are the ones who have the babies. This seems so simple, so direct, and so basic, and probably to most of you, and especially to me, uh, it's a no-brainer. We take it for granted almost. It's completely foreign to us to think anything else. Who would hand over their child willingly to the state? But more and more people are buying the lie that they just don't know how to raise their own children. So I understand that you are listening to this podcast probably because you don't have much time to read. Kimberly has done many interviews. You can uh, check her out on the internet. But one that I saw recently was an interview with Tucker Carlson. It's about an hour long and she goes into great depth in describing this dynamic and how it has been challenged at the UN level. Now, the second book I want to recommend to you is titled Battle for the American Mind, Uprooting a Century of Miseducation. The author is Pete Hegseth, and he wrote it with David Goodwin. The book cover describes his book this way. Early in the 20th century, progressives quietly transformed America's schools a hundred years later They've succeeded beyond their wildest hopes. Behind a simple smokescreen of preparing students for the new industrial economy, early progressives had political control in mind. America's original schools didn't just make kids memorize facts or learn skills. They taught them to think freely and arrive at wisdom. They assigned the classics, inspired love of God and country, and raised future citizens who changed the world forever. Today, after 16,000 hours of K-12 indoctrination, our kids come out of government schools hating America. By the way, they hate their parents too. They roll their eyes at religion and disdain of our history. We spend more money on education than ever, but kids can barely read and write let alone reason 
with discernment. Western culture is on the ropes. Kids are bored and aimless, flailing for purpose in a system that says racial and gender identity are everything. Battle for the American Mind is the untold story of the progressive plan to neutralize the basis of our republic by removing the one ingredient that had sustained Western civilization for thousands of years. Pete Hegseth and David Goodwin explain why, no matter what, political skirmishes, conservatives win, progressives are winning the war in controlling the supply lines of future citizens. Reversing this reality will require parents to radically reorient their children's education. Even most homeschooling and Christian schooling are infused with progressive assumptions. We need to recover a lost philosophy of education grounded in virtue and excellence that can arm future generations to fight for freedom. It's called classical Christian education. Never heard of it? You're not alone. When I pick up a book like this, what am I looking for? Well, first of all, I want to know if it's substantial, if it has uh, good information, an accurate summary of the history of public education, and an evaluation of our situation, our present situation at this time, and what it means for the future. And I'm pretty much up on that. And probably you are too. That tells me that Pete and his cohort, David, are starting at the right point. But what really intrigued me was the fact that Pete Hegseth is a military guy. As an activist, I'm much more interested in the solution than the problem. We know the problem. Um, Some people are very fascinated with how we got here. And of course, that is important. We need to study our enemy, though, now, and understand their strategies and their motivation so that we can be smarter and more effective in causing change, right? We want to be successful. He says, as we look to the future of the progressive agenda, how ruthlessly self-aware are we about our side of the equation? How is our morale? And what are our capabilities? How many troops do we have? And what, if any, is our strategy? Almost everything we have done over the past hundred years has failed to blunt the Marxist advanced. So what are we going to do differently today? We need a solution, a strategy big enough to overcome not just the left's most likely course of action, but also their most dangerous. I believe in this case, they are one and the same. The left's most dangerous course of action is also their most likely. Amen to that. He goes on. That course of action is as follows. They keep doing what they are doing. Maintain control of all the institutions and wait for the ultra-woke students of today 
to become the teachers, administrators, and politicians of tomorrow. And that's exactly what they're doing, aren't they? Think government schools are bad now. Wait until a current anti-America, anti-faith generation gets an opportunity to press their advantage. Hey, guys, I believe they're already doing it. I believe we're into this. They are graduating and they are affecting change because they're voting. He, get, he says they are wedded to a bureaucratic and bloated system, a system that benefits their grip on power, but also prevents them from making necessary changes should they find themselves under threat from an alternative educational system. If we, patriots and Christians, do not mount an effective counter-campaign, they will be deadly. If we do, they will be dangerous, but hamstrung by the weight of their complacency. Do you think they're being complacent? Well, I think right now they kind of are. They're so arrogant, aren't they? They seem to think that we have absolutely no power to go against what they're doing. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to know ourselves and them in order to build that alternative. So know your enemy. Gosh, I don't know how many times I've said that, but I believe it's so, so important to understand what motivates them. He goes into that. He says, so what do they think of themselves? Well, they know their schools don't deliver excellence, but they also know they have full control. And that's what they want. Ultimately, student outcomes are secondary to job security, political power, and more funding. Their funding streams are vulnerable, as is their union membership. Should right to work ever become widespread? Well, actually, it is becoming widespread, guys, right? Teachers can get out of the union now. They just, more of them need to be doing it, and more of them need to know they can do it. They also know that many parents, given a cost-effective alternative and the freedom to choose, would likely choose something else. And I can attest to that. Oh my goodness, there have been so many surveys of parents and more than 50%, especially here in Oregon, say that they would leave in a heartbeat if they could. Therefore, their most important goal is to prevent educational competition by denying parents the freedom to choose other alternatives. And they're, they're trying to do that. They are aware that many of the things they are teaching are unpopular. Hence, they use creative names and limit public oversight. So they don't want you to see it, even though the law is behind you. They assume the public school thing is inevitable and traditional values, especially God, will never be allowed back in. What do they think of us? Well, I think you know what they think of us, but this is what Pete says. He says, we are a nuisance, but not a threat. I think we are a threat. They think we are also outdated and constitutionally incapable of changing the trajectory of curriculum or school culture. Well, they're going to they're going to find out that's not the case. As long as parents are not allowed to use public money, tax dollars, to choose faith-based schools, our outside schooling system will be marginalized, especially since most private schools are largely progressive and nominally Christian. 
our inability to abolish the Department of Education when it was first created shows what little ability we have to politically defeat their federal educational initiatives. And of course, they also believe that we are racist and sexist for advancing anything other than their left-wing orthodoxy. But to our advantage, they have little consideration for classical Christian schools. So they really don't know anything about them. So what do we think about them? They are arrogant and complacent, but remain effective. They are ruthlessly focused on control of the classroom and press their advantage at every turn. Any minor victories by us, say parents, parents exposing critical race theory at school board meetings, have very little impact on their overall trajectory. And in most cases, it solidifies their perception as untouchable. As such, they believe they are invincible and inevitable, which has caused and will continue to cause them to overreach. And guys, the more they overreach, the more ridiculous they look, and the more we as parents get it. Their progressive plans and theories go well beyond common sense, basic decency, including useful backlash from parents and politicians. Their ultimate goal is to ensure that the government, not families or faith, molds the values of the next generations. Maintaining the government school monopoly is their obsession. They believe they are better, smarter, and more virtuous than we are based on their social justice view of the world. I agree 1,000%. So, what do we think of us? Well, while COVID-19, uh, 16, <laughs> 16, effect has awakened many American parents, including apolitical parents, to the takeover of our schools— most parents are still largely resigned to our current reality. Now, I want to say something about that. It's changing, guys. I do believe it's changing. And if it can change in the state of Oregon, where things are the worst, we know it can change elsewhere. We are having an impact. Uh, he goes on to say that most parents are still largely resigned to our current reality. Well, yes, most are. But most just means, you know, 51%. So our response is still limited to our school board meetings, calls for social school choice, and watchdocking our kids' curriculum. Yes, that's true. But when more of us do it, we have greater impact. Uh, most parents still feel resigned to fighting the system from within, even if our efforts feel futile. Don't allow them to feel futile because we are winning. Now, so I do take some exception to what Pete is saying, his evaluation of parents and what we're doing. Of course, he can't know everything. Um, but uh, he, he says, first we survive, then we regroup and reorganize while weakening the control and legitis legitimacy of our foe. And that's critical. We have to keep hammering away. And finally, he says, we replace their power structure with reconstructed schools based on freedom and faith. So this is a process, and it's going to take a long time. It's going to take maybe, well, your kids will be out of school probably, but we cannot look at this as a short-term fix. We have to look at it as a long-term war. 
we have some battles along the way, but we must win in the end. And so we have to be very strategic about it and understand that it it took a hundred years to get here, and it it may not. It, I I don't think it'll take that long to to um to do them in. I really don't. Uh, maybe thirty years, maybe twenty five. But we have to look to the future, and if we if we don't, if we quit, if we retreat, if we stop, they will win. That's all there is to it. We cannot let them win. Kind of like parenting, right? <laughs> we can't let them win. Okay. So he calls this an insurgency. I mean, I just really love this chapter because we are in a battle. We, we're, we're in battles and we're in a large war. He goes into this discussion of insurgency and we fit right into this category. We are in the insurgency right now. He says the most dangerous moment for any insurgency is when it attempts to move from one phase to another. If you move too soon, without population support or robust networks, and we need to have a robust network, guys, and you are vulnerable to being crushed by the group in power. Wait too long and you allow the existing power structure to gain even more power and legitimacy. I equate our situation right now to catching a wave. If you've ever surfed, you know what that's like. The wave is right behind us. We have to catch it. That's important. Right now, that's our job is to catch this wave of interest and um, alarm and concern amongst our citizens. They are waking up. We need to capture that, catch the wave, and ride it all the way into the beach. Pete goes on. He says, in addition to understanding phases and timing, according to official U.S. Army doctrine, insurgencies share several common dynamics. Leadership, objectives, ideology, geography, and external support. Without any of these, the effort is likely to fail. This is a big project. Successful insurgent leaders know how to make their case to the people and gain popular support while breaking the ties to the existing power structure. Objectives need to be clear. In the short term, building awareness. That's what Parents' Rights in Education is doing. We are enlightening communities and empowering parents. In the midterm, building capacity. By capacity, he is talking about alternative schools, availability, and the long-term universal educational tax credits. Now, I believe that we need to begin attacking this universal education educational tax credit right now. And uh, in uh, two northwestern states, Oregon and Washington, we are going to have initiatives on the ballot in 2024 for um, educational tax credits. As this uh, movement for tax credits gains momentum, 
more and more people will be able to leave the public school system. So I feel good about having read this book about military strategy and believe that it does apply directly to what we're doing and that we are in the right place. Thank you, Pete Hegseth. This is Parents' Rights. Now, please check your show notes for links pertinent to this podcast. Please consider making a monthly contribution to Parents' Rights in Education. We need your help. We have big plans in mind. And because of a very generous one-time contribution of $25,000, we are challenging our listeners and our readers, all of our supporters, to match that. Gives $12 a month. If there were only 500 of you, that would tally up to $6,000 a month, almost tripling the $25,000 check we just received in one year. Be part of that club. We call it the 12 by 12 club. A link to our website is in the show notes or go to parentsrightsined.org. See you soon.